Well, I don't always share stuff like this, but today's a special day for me. It's my birthday. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a milestone, and we all know what that's like. I mean, they seem to be coming quicker and quicker <laughs> every year, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but uh, don't be you know, the, old, <laughs> the older you get, the more you tend to reflect, don't you? You tend to look back on your life and you, you wonder, well, what kind of a life has it been? And, and you know, what, what has been achieved? And, uh, you know, you think about the mistakes you made in the past and you maybe think about some of the, the milestones, some of the achievements and so on. And I, I, have, I can make a list of things that I'm so happy about in my life. Certainly my wife, what a blessing she has been and hopefully I to her, my family, of my calling that God has given me and the giftedness to, to do what he has asked me to do. But uh, I think the greatest achievement in my life is what I'll call finding God. Finding God, and that happens to be the title of the sermon today, Finding God. It's a deep subject uh, you look at the world and the billions of people in the world today, and you know that some do have a relationship with God. There are many different religions around the world, of course. Uh, we feel from what God has revealed to us that this, this is the one that we need to find, this uh, God that we worship who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, how does one come into this relationship with God? How does one find God? We know that God has a lot to do with it. Jesus said, no one can come to me except the Father who has sent me draw him. But yet we know we have a responsibility too, that the scripture tells us that we should be seeking God. So we meet God somewhere in the middle there. He is the one who initiates it, but then we respond to it somehow. But in this day and age, we see that the world is becoming more and more ungodly. It seems that uh, in so many respects, people are not thinking about God. They're not seeking God. But yet we as a church have been given a commission to represent God, to share the gospel, to live the gospel uh, with the hope that somehow we can affect the people around us to make them want to seek God and know more about God. People uh, are in this situation today because... Uh, well, many different reasons. There are people who have never been taught about God in their family. A lot of us were, most all of us were. I mean, that was the, the, the basics of what you teach your kids very early on. You teach them about God, you bring them to church, you let them know what that's all about, you kind of try to live a life uh, that demonstrates what a Christian should be. But things have faded in our society today. Certainly they don't learn about God in school. Uh, very little do they learn on the, on the media, in movies or on TV shows. So they think that religion doesn't really apply to me. You know, that's, I, I don't know anything about that. People as well succumb to negative peer pressure by friends or teachers in their life as they're growing up. But uh, teens reach the age where they begin to question everything that was taught to them by their parents, including information about God. 
they get to the point where they feel that they're more sophisticated than their parents, you know, especially when you start going to college and things like that. You look at your parents and you think, well, they're so old school. You know, I feel sorry for them. You know, I'm the one who's more modern as a college student. I feel that I know more. You know, I think I went through that period of life. I'm ashamed of it now because the older I get, the, real, the more I realize how much my parents knew and how much wisdom that they had. They're taught in college that religion is for the weak. It's, it's not cool to believe in God. And uh, students become drunk with this newfound independence that they have. So other people feel that they don't believe in God because of an event, perhaps, that took place in their life. They think that something happened that God, if he does exist, should never have allowed or permitted. Sickness or death of a family member, divorce of parents or broken relationships in their life, loss of a job, accidents or other disappointments. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? And that skews their belief in God or any interest that they may have in God. You know, people in general today don't want to have any moral authority in their life, God, in other words, determining how they should live. They don't want to have to be accountable to anyone because they may have to change their way of life and they become comfortable with their lifestyle, no matter what it may be. A lot of people think that they're basically a good person, especially when they compare themselves downwards to others that they think are worse than they are. But the scripture tells us that when a person is filled with pride, they have no need for God. In James 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So part of finding God requires a certain sense of humility on your part that you've got to realize that you need help, that you're a sinner, and uh, it's hopeless for you. <laughs> you need to be rescued. You need a savior in your life. Of course, when a person makes a bold statement that they don't believe in God, it doesn't really change reality, does it? Uh, let's turn to Psalm 14 and verse 1. You, know, you can say that, well, I believe that the earth is flat. Well, okay, but that doesn't change reality. <laughs> Because uh, your belief that the earth is flat, you know, it's still round, the way God created it to be. It says in Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. Verse 2, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So that's, I think, a good editorial on our society today and where we find ourselves now as Christians. But we have a responsibility to those people out there because we have been commissioned to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. So how do we connect these people with God? I'd like to look at some scriptures today that give us some help and certainly some things to think about. I want to turn to Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 24. <clears throat> Acts 17, verse 24. You know, when, whenever I'm talking to somebody and they share that they don't really believe in God for, you know, whatever reasons, scriptures like this come to mind. I share them when I have the opportunity. 
but it tell, tells us about how essential God is to our existence. This is Acts uh, 17, beginning in verse 24. This is Paul preaching. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. So he's speaking to a, a culture who had a lot of gods that they worshipped of one sort or another. He goes on to say, And he, God, is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So in other words, that God that you don't believe in is the one who is responsible for keeping you alive. How ironic is that? Verse 26, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Of course, starting with Adam. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. In other words, when you study your history and the course of history, God has actually been involved in that, setting up nations and taking down nations over the centuries. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So God is at hand. He's right here in the midst of things. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus, of course. He has given proof to, of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So we cannot exist without God. That's one of the reasons I believe in God. I believe that he gives me every breath I take on any given day. And he holds my life in his hand. He knows how, how much longer it's going to, to go on. And we all know that our time comes eventually. If Jesus doesn't return first, that, uh, you know, it'll be checkout time for us to transition from this life into the next that God has in store for us. So believe in God? Yeah. And it's good to find him. It's good to seek him. God wants everyone to seek him. In Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1, you know, such a beautiful day like this that we can enjoy. Uh, this season is wonderful and uh, beautiful weather, beautiful temperature today. We're reminded of God's creation. It says here, the heavens, and of course, the earth and all that God created on it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. So scripture tells us that just looking at creation itself, the beauty of God's creation is a proof of God's existence, that he really does exist. Just look around you. You know, from the microscopic 
to the macroscopic. You know, you can look through a microscope or you can look through a telescope out into space and see the glory of God. He's made that all available for us. In fact, Romans, uh, just a couple pages back, Romans 1 verse 20. Paul tells us that we really have no excuse. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he, he has, what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So God has given every human being the ability to see God's existence, his majesty, his creation. So creation can help us to understand God's nature. It's a starting place, but, you know, it's not the complete picture. God can be known because he reveals himself in a way that we can understand. And that main reason, what God went beyond to do, is that he sent his son down to this earth to represent him. God has come into our universe in the person of Jesus Christ. So, you know, we just went through a series on the, the four Gospels, four accounts of the life of Jesus Christ, his teachings, his miracles, the parables that he taught, all the things that he experienced. So through his life, we got a clear, even a clearer vision of what God is like. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I like the way the author of Hebrews words this here and telling us about Jesus. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. So all you have to do is look to the Old Testament. You could read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the, the 12 minor prophets and so on. That's how God communicated to his people. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, we know he did that on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So part of the author's purpose here was dissuading people from worshiping angels, saying, don't do that. Jesus Christ is the one to worship. He is so much higher than angels. He is God. He is the Son of God. So thanks be to God the Father he gave us a clearer picture of who and what he is by doing what? By sending his own son down to earth in the form of a human being, fully God and fully man. So it's easier for us, you know, you can think of God the Father up in heaven, we've never seen him, but he's up there and uh, he exists, he's eternal and so on and so forth. There's only so much we can understand about him, but we can understand more about him because his son whom he sent represents him, is just like him. It's like the radiance of God has been shown to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So the way Jesus thinks is the way God the Father thinks. The way Jesus 
teaches is the way God the Father teaches. The way Jesus loves and forgives is the way God the Father loves and forgives. So we're so thankful that God gave us that person to look to, his very own son who represents him. So we have to study. We have to learn. We have to experience Jesus in our life. That's what we're called to do. And we come to realize that, you know what, as we learn more about God, our personal ideas about God sometimes have to change. Why is that? Because funny thing about man and woman, God created us in his image, Scripture tells us. But we, just kind of left to our own devices, we tend to create God in our image. We think that he should think like we do, or he should act like we do. That's why some people who don't believe in God are disappointed. Well, why didn't God rescue me in that case? Or why did God allow that to happen? I didn't want to be in a car crash, but it happened. Why didn't God act the way I expected him to? Well, as we learn more, more about God, we learn that his purposes are higher than ours. Yeah, sometimes even negative things happen in our life for a purpose. God's in charge, and you mean he lets stuff like that happen sometimes? Yeah, sometimes according to his purpose. And it might not be till later that we really see or begin to understand the reasons why. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, Back here in the Old Testament, Numbers 23 and verse 19, God taught ancient Israel this because I think that they tended to have the wrong impressions of God as well. God says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So one of the things that we begin to learn as we start to think about God and, and learn more about him is that he's not human. He doesn't act like a human being. You know what? Act, human beings are sinful. Human beings make mistakes. Human beings go back on their word. Human beings lie. That's our fallen human nature that we have. But God is not like that. God is one that we can count on. God is one that we can depend on. God is one that we can rely on. God is one that we can lean on. And he encourages us to do that. And we should not expect him to act like a human being. We're told elsewhere in Isaiah 55, I won't turn there, but verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55, he says, my ways are higher than yours. I'm not a human, I'm God. And everything I do is right. And you can count on that, he says. So good things, blessings, wonderful. But sometimes even negative things, trials, tribulations are necessary too. Because God's way of thinking, God's way of acting are so much higher than ours. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So God doesn't have to change for our benefit. We are the ones who have to change. As we begin to see God as he truly is, we need to start to forget about some of the wrong impressions that we had of God, okay? We're the ones who need to be transformed and see God as he truly is. And what a wonderful blessing it was, again, for him to send his son so that we can see him in a way that we can relate to. 
We read his words. In a sense, we hear him speak. We see him act. And that's the way God truly is. Sometimes people get the wrong impression. They think, well, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he's kind of the easygoing one, and it's the Father who is the harsh one. But no, God is unified. Both Father, Son, and Spirit all think alike. They act alike. They act in unity with one another, uh, in joy with one another, have one purpose with one another. We can't divide them up and separate them. So our duty is to learn as much as we can about God as we are in relationship with him. I'll turn to Colossians 1 and verse 15. Colossians 1 and verse 15. Here, the Apostle Paul talking about Jesus Christ and his relationship with the Father. It's just a beautiful passage here. It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. In other words, he has preeminence over everything. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. So we've come to understand a lot about God, about his son, Jesus Christ. And it is our responsibility as we're able to try to help others come to a relationship with God. As I said, we do that by sharing the gospel and by living the gospel. We should live our lives in such a way that people would want to be attracted not to us, but to God through us. We should live lives that are different to the point that they notice it. You know, I use the example all the time that uh, some places where you work, a lot of foul language going on around you, but you should have the reputation of a person who doesn't talk that way. That no vulgarity, you know, no unclean stuff ends up coming out of your mouth. People notice that very quickly. If you go into work with an attitude of helping others, serving others, doing what you can to be kind to others, people notice that. Now, it might also bring some negative, you know, uh, persecution your way. They think you're a goody two-shoes or something like that. But the right people will be impressed. And again, we're not bringing attention to ourselves. We're bringing attention to God who dwells in us, okay? That's our goal. And we never know, you know, what we may say or do that can cause somebody to want to know more about God or seek God or have what we have, you know, salvation through Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with God. How do you get that? You know, how does that work? Well, that's a perfect opportunity to go ahead and explain that. You know, it starts with seeking God. 
wanting to find him in your life. Being brought to the point of repentance, realizing that you need a savior. It's going to take a certain amount of humility on your part to, to admit that. But then accepting the free gift of salvation, saying the sinner's prayer, you know, repenting, accepting Jesus as your savior, and going on from there. Turn to Job chapter 42. You know, Job went through his life, and we're all familiar with this story of the, the terrible trials that he had to endure to be brought to the point that he really saw God the way he is. But it says here at the end of the book, Job chapter 42, Job finally admits this as he speaks to God. Uh, verse 5, he says this to God, My ears had heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. And he doesn't literally mean seeing him. He means understanding him. That's a way of saying it's a figure of speech that, you know, I thought I knew all there was to know about God. But now I get it, God. Now I see you as you really are. And unfortunately, he had to go through some really tough times to get to this point. But it was God's purpose. Because God wanted to bring Job to that point where he put aside some of his past ideas about God and now sees God the way he really is. He says in verse 5, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So to see God as he truly is, to come to understand him as a grace-filled God, a forgiving God, yet a just God, a God of judgment, it should bring us to the point where we're humbled, we realize we're sinners, and we need a Savior. And we repent of our sins. We're sorry for what we've done in times past. And now we just want to come to God for forgiveness. God is seeking a lifetime relationship with us. And that's what it is. It's a lifelong relationship where we get to know him more and more intimately as time goes by. Which means that we need to continue to seek him. It's not just a one-time thing. You know, I've had people over the years in my ministry that wanted to be baptized. We went ahead and baptized them. Certainly, we, you know, prepared them for it and was explaining what it's all about. But we baptized them, and you never see them again. That was the last day they came to church because they figured, well, I got that done, you know. I'm headed for heaven now. I, I was baptized, so uh, I don't have to bother with this church business anymore. But baptism is just the start. It's the first step in a lifelong mission or experience of getting to know God more and more intimately, of relying on him, of finding him as our refuge whenever we need refuge, of seeking direction, of putting our, our lives in his hands for him to guide it and direct it according to his purposes. Because we belong to him now. So, you know, as we interact with people and get into discussions with them, hopefully we can be instrumental somehow by the words that we say, by the example that we set, by the hope that we have of encouraging people to seek God and to find that same relationship with him that we have. You don't have to be perfect to seek God. In fact, the exact opposite. You need to be a sinner. And we all are, because the scripture says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Including us, right? That's why we sought God. 
and by his grace we found him and continue to hold on to him, never wanting to let him go. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. I don't know if, if many people stumble into a relationship with God. Scripture seems to say otherwise, like here in verse 13. God says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You really have to be sincere about it. You really have to take it seriously in your seeking God. I know a lot of us sitting here uh, over the years, we were attracted to uh, radio broadcasts or TV broadcasts that uh, our church used to have years ago. We heard preaching going on and you know, there was a particular minister who said, uh, you know, if you don't believe me, blow the dust off your Bible and then you'll believe it. You know, and a lot of us got out our Bibles, <laughs> maybe for the first time, and blew the dust off of it and uh, looked up some of the things that this preacher was saying because we wanted to know. We wanted to prove for ourselves. We were interested in God. We were seeking him and we were doing it with our whole heart. And I remember years and years ago, our church used to put out a lot of study guides, what we, they used to call, and this goes way back, a correspondence course that we signed up for. And then we were surprised to not just get one or two or three or four lessons, but there were like 60 lessons that we studied. And, and uh, I know a lot of people really got into it and had their notebooks and their loose leaf paper and wrote down all the questions and wrote down their answers. And, of course, back in those days, you had to submit all the, your paperwork and, you know, it was checked to make sure that you completed the lessons and we felt kind of proud that, you know, we, we studied this much and we never knew there was this much in the Bible. But you know what? God blessed us for it because we were sincere and we were doing it with our whole heart. And you know what? A lot of you are sitting here today, decades later, because you had that sincerity. You wanted to find God and learn more about him and really appreciate him and learn to love him. Let's turn to one last passage here in Romans chapter 10. We as a church have been given a responsibility by God. We're just not to enjoy the salvation that God has given us. We're to share it. Jesus, before he departed, gave the church a commission to go and make disciples through whatever means, you know, are temporary, contemporary for your, your time. And so over the years, there's been radio, there's been television, there's been literature. Now it's mostly the internet and Facebook and so on and so forth. Whatever means is, is working at the time. There's no limitations as far as that is concerned. But God commissions the church to share the grace that we've received, to share the gospel that we have received. Romans 10 and verse 13, Paul says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we want people to call on the name of the Lord in a repentant, humble attitude to call for salvation, to call for a Savior. But he says in verse 14, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those 
who bring good news. And that beauty is not literally the way your feet look, it's the message that you're carrying. And I talked about how in ancient times, especially when Israel or Judah was in captivity, and a messenger was sent to proclaim freedom for the captives. They would see that messenger come and anticipate the message that uh, they had, that their conquerors are now defeated. Whatever country or king it was who conquered you as a nation and put you into captivity, they are now conquered, and you are to be set free. And imagine how those captives felt and how beautiful they considered the feet of that messenger to be because they came with a message of freedom, of hope, of salvation. So you see, we have been commissioned by God to carry that same message. We do it as a church. We do it in the community when, when possible. But we also do it individually in our lives because we're surrounded by people who don't know God who have been cut off from God by their sins. God loves them, Jesus died for them, but somehow they haven't gotten the message of this all. They haven't come to understand it or feel a need for it in their life. We have been placed here not to be like an Old Testament prophet and condemn people for their sins. We're not in that role. We have been called to live and share the gospel so that God can use a connection that we can make with people where they're interested, they're curious, they want to know more. Why do you live the way that you're living? You know, or, or my marriage is filled with division and I'm on my third or fourth marriage right now. I've had so many divorces. You've been married now for 40 years. How did that happen? What do you attribute that to? And that's just an open door to say, well, you know what? I love God, and I read his word, and I, I, I understand what marriage represents. It represents the relationship between God and, and his church, and God says it's forever, it's for life. <laughs> and that's the way I've always looked at marriage. And you know, whenever troubles arise, we work things out. We forgive, we uh, repent, we do whatever we need to do to make that marriage successful even counseling if we feel it's needed. So you see, by your example, by your life, you have the opportunity to share what you're living and explain why, and like I said, not to condemn the other person or point out their sins, but just explain to them what you understand and why you live the way you do, and that's what God wants of you, and you do your best to do it. By his strength, by his power and his mercy, we do the best we can. We're not perfect. That's how you share. And like I said, we want people to be saved. We want them to be made at one with God. We want them to find God in their life because God can help them in ways that nobody else can. So we're seeing our society get worse and worse, as we know. It's a fallen society, a fallen world, and we're seeing some of the final throes of suffering and violence, and it's, it's just unbelievable how violent our society has become and how dangerous it, it becomes, and I'm not just talking about country against country, I'm talking even within the United States. And the lack of knowledge of God, the lack of interest in God, 
uh, we're suffering the consequences as a society of that attitude. So more and more as our society fragments, we are going to stand out as lights to this society. And not everybody is going to be called, not everybody is going to respond, but there are people out there that I think God determines are going to be called and get the message and hear the gospel before it's all said and done. So be prepared, be ready, take it seriously. Let's make sure our personal relationship with God is where it needs to be so that we can go out every day representing him Okay, we're not perfect. It's not our light. It's the light of Jesus Christ that shines out of us because he's dwelling in us. Okay, never lose that uh, perspective. But there is still much work to be done. And I think our example is going to be more important than ever in the months and years ahead.